Ah, oh, thank you for your practice together. Good evening. I appreciate you bringing your bodies and your minds together so we can create this practice place together. This is Young Urban Zen and my name is Kodo. I see some familiar names and faces and I see some new names and faces. It's really nice to be with all of you. Uh, before we begin, I wanna I want to point out something I always do, uh, that my uh, Zoom name is my email address. If you have any comments or any feedback, um, any questions or perhaps anything didn't land quite right for you during the evening, uh, feel free to send me a note. I'm happy to respond. So for tonight, we're considering metta loving kindness, uh, goodwill. And uh, I'm gonna propose uh, metta as a timely response to the imperfect conditions in, in which we're always practicing. In fact, metta as an embrace of this imperfection. You can think of metta, goodwill, loving kindness as a, as a practice. You can think of it as a path. And I also think of it as a protection. It's a direct path to refuge when so much around us is uh, uncertain. Practically, cultivation of goodwill, of metta, for some, it can be, it can be a complement to your zazen practice. Um, say a few minutes at set times during the day. One of my teachers does just a few minutes of metta practice uh, right before they go to bed each night. Uh, for some others, metta becomes their primary meditation method. And for still others, the two zazen and metta become indistinguishable. If you know Sojin Mel Weitzman from the former abbot from Berkeley Zen Center, just recently passed, he, uh, he was teaching a retreat on loving kindness practice. And he, he, he said it's actually the only practice he ever does that he imagines uh, or imagined um, loving kindness or love, or he liked, he liked to say light emanating from his hara, from his dantian, from his lower belly. And that was Sojin Mel Weitzman's Zazen. So there, there are many beneficial and actually beautiful ways to relate to, to loving kindness practice. My own relationship with it has been longstanding, uh, actually way before I ever knew what loving kindness practice was and way before I ever knew that it was associated with Buddhism. And I've recently learned that uh, metta is a practice that predates the Dharma, predates Buddhism. Um, and I first came into something that I recognize as metta when I was when I was just a three or four year old child and I had been taught how to pray in the house where I grew up and I was taught how to pray before I went to sleep. And all I had been taught was to say things I was thankful for. And then sort of spontaneously, it arose for me at the end of this on my bed, tucked in nice and warm uh, to say, oh, may my sister be happy. And I would imagine my sister and I'd imagine her smile and I would, that I would feel the wish for her to be happy. And then may my brother be happy. 
see them in my mind, feel it, my, my mom and dad. And then something interesting happened. I never knew where to drew the, draw the line. I never knew where to stop. So I would go to my neighbors. Oh, maybe my neighbors be happy. Everyone who lives on my street, everyone in my city. Okay, okay, okay. Everyone in the world, may you all be happy. That's the only way that I could finish this uh, meditation when I'm just this little boy. No idea what Buddhism is. No idea what the Dharma is. So um, that was my introduction to metta 30 some years ago. I think nowadays, usually the conditions, at least for me, they're not quite so ideal being tucked in my bed, safe and warm doing my practice. And I'm gonna go so far as to say that I don't think we ever practice in spaces that are perfectly always ideal. And yet we're always practicing with this body and this mind in this present moment, where else can we practice? So we're always addressing contingency, uncertainty, contingency that things are dependent upon conditions. And even in this, we can consider metta a direct path of refuge. So I wanna talk a little bit about that contingency itself in a personal way and then how it shows up in the Dharma uh, and some of the implications for our practice. And then we'll turn to, the, to a pretty simple question of how do we find our way with this? And then I'll, I will offer some um, meta instruction that's possibly just a little different than you may have encountered before. So first, uh, a personal story about contingency. Um, this Saturday at about noon, I, I found myself in a, in a place that um, few of us would prefer to be. Uh, I was uh, at the advice of a, of a nurse, I was told to go into the emergency room in San Francisco. And I think of emergency rooms in the Bay Area and emergency rooms across the country and in the world, it's kind of like, it's a certain kind of ground zero in my perception. Um, I'm fine, but I had some, I was having some concerning symptom and the nurse was like, oh, we really should check you out. So um, I guess I don't wanna play it too lightly because you need to understand for the story that there were a couple of hours there where I didn't have any proof that I was, I, like, I was really in danger, but I also didn't have any proof that I wasn't. And what that meant was I don't, I don't know how bad this is gonna be which was a real feeling of uncertainty for me and actually brought very close the proximity, the possibility of, of death. Um, in a way you might expect that proximity, that perception of the possibility that this could, this could go bad actually brought, brought a lot of clarity and brought a lot of energy, energy to my practice. I spent most of the time in the hospital meditating. Um, I was in this little cluster in the, uh, in the ER for folks who they, they didn't suspect had been exposed to COVID. And I couldn't see everyone through the curtains, but I think that I counted maybe five people in this little row. 
and I couldn't help but overhear what was going on for them, the different things happening, happening and how they were meeting them. I couldn't help but uh, hear the exchanges between the medical staff and the patients. And it occurred, it occurred to me there, and the reason that I'm talking about contingency tonight is that doctors, nurses, patients, they're never working in ideal conditions. Um, it's, it's true to an extent that, that I imagine that um, doctors pick up the knowledge of their trade first through a somewhat controlled environment of the classroom, and then they're introduced to contingency. And it's always this meeting of what they know with the conditions of the moment in the hope that health can arise. And I think it's the same for us. Um, we're always, always taking, taking our resources and our understanding, our experience of practice and the support we have from our good friends in the Dharma and meeting whatever particulars of our life are coming forward. And it could be anything. Rarely predictable. I want to emphasize again, being, being in that situation, the clarity and the energy of the practice that came. It was just so obvious. The mind clicked into practice mode and was like, all right, Kodo, if you've got, if you've got two weeks, what are you going to do right this instant? Like, how are you going to practice right now? It doesn't always have to be so dramatic, actually. Uh, there's a, in the Dharma, we see this emphasis on contingency through a, a, a daily practice called the five reflections. The first is that this body has not gone beyond aging. Second, that this body hasn't gone beyond illness. This body hasn't gone beyond death is the third. Our actions bear fruit, the fourth. And the fifth is that all we love will pass. And the idea is to draw these to mind once a day in the training. And I wanna point out that it's even in this, aging is coming, illness is coming, death is coming, that the arising of practice happens in relationship with this. It's, uh, it's true for all of us. Uh, there's, there's no one, there's no one that's um, um, not bound for that same fate. So we practice and what else can we do? So we each practice in this wild, decisive moment of, of the present, each with our own particulars. Your breath isn't my breath. Your body isn't my body. Your attention isn't my attention. We're each finding our way and each meeting 
each meeting the stresses that arise and also creating access to our own refuge. So how do we find our way? There's this, there's this great image. Sailing through emptiness, intention is the rudder. Sailing through emptiness, your wise intention is the rudder. Joseph Goldstein puts this in a slightly different way and probably to misquote him, that the, the only control you have or the best control you have over your future is the quality of your intentions right now. Uh, good reason that wise intention is second in the Eightfold Path. May gave, gave a great talk recently on wise intention. So, saying wise intention is most important, putting it at the forefront like this, and knowing that metta is among the trio of wise intentions by definition, it can kind of sound like we're finding our way alone. Sometimes we do, but sometimes we're finding our way with our good friends. Recently, Abbot David led a, uh, a practice period on these heart practices, the Brahma Viharas, cultivations of intention, like metta, loving kindness. And in a little over a week, another reason for discussing this tonight is that uh, we'll be holding a three-day session, a retreat on the Brahma Viharas. I wanna let a, a, a favorite poem of mine do a little bit of the illustrating of the relationship to the heart and all this uncertainty, emptiness, embrace of all this and care and love and relationship. And my hope is that before we turn to metta a little more directly, that this, will, this might evoke for you a connection to someone who's dear in your life. And, um, perhaps touch your heart a little before we move into heart practices. And it's a poem called To Hold by Lee Young Lee. This poem was given to me as a, as a gift. So we're dust. In the meantime, my wife and I make the bed. realized I can put this in the chat to make this a little easier for folks to follow along. So we're dust. In the meantime, my wife and I make the bed. Holding opposite edges of the sheet, we raise it, billowing, then pull it tight, measuring by eye as it falls into alignment between us. We tug, fold, tuck. And if I'm lucky, she'll remember a recent dream and tell me. One day we'll lie down and not get up. One day all we guard will be surrendered. Until then, we'll go on learning to recognize what we love and what it takes to tend what isn't for our having. So often, fear has led me to abandon what I know I must relinquish in time. 
But for the moment, I'll listen to her dream and she to mine. Our mutual hearing calling more and more light, more and more detail into the light of a joint and fragile keeping. Whew. So an embrace of contingency, an embrace of this world of imperfections. Moving directly into the practice of metta, the cultivation of our hearts. I'm taking as our guide, a practice that's inspired by uh, this ancient text called the Itivutika. It's really small and um, it's a collection of short teachings, first taught by the Buddha uh, to a, uh, a lay woman who then taught it to an assembly of 500 lay women. And in the course of the study together, all of them awoke. That is so inspiring to me. <laughs> um, so we'll take some inspiration from that book uh, as, it, as it has some practice of metta and goodwill there. So how? Um, Metta, loving kindness, has been, it's been taught as a concentration practice. It's been taught as a purification practice. And it cultivates a degree of freedom in the mind and the heart. And in the language of our discussion tonight, cultivates an access to a refuge within. And why, why metta? I will say precisely because the times are so difficult. It's, a, it's this sort of access to refuge. It's the meaning and the path and the offering of the cultivation of metta. Sometimes in Zen, we talk about the heart or the mind as naturally radiant or ceaselessly pure, but it's covered over. And this practice of cultivating the heart removes the coverings in a, in a similar way that Sazen does. So it's possible that you might, um, it's un unlikely perhaps if, you're, if you came tonight after knowing we're talking about metta, but it's possible. The word loving kindness can make the practice seem like it might be a little sappy. It might be a little saccharine. Um, and I, it's one of the reasons that I want to emphasize tonight the context of contingency because the proximity of the reality of our lives helps keep metta grounded and mature. Um, as I'm going to present it, it has quite a few steps. So if you want to take a, a note or two, that's that's helpful. Just key words to help remind you. And of course, there will be the recording here. And then uh, another way to go about this is with guided meditations for Metta. And if there's any interest, I can record one and send it out to the group. So. All that, contingency, metta, refuge in the heart. Let's get to work. 
So if, you, um, if you'd like, I invite you back into your meditation posture or to your meditation posture for the first time. And this, we'll, we'll do this just for a few minutes together to get the method. So find your steady posture. If you're seated, allow your shoulders to roll back. Rooted into the earth through your sit bones, maybe through your feet. Let the spine grow long. Now we'll establish the mind with a few preliminaries before going into the formal metta practice. We're going to check for three things. First, looking into the mind, into the body. Is there any greed active in the mind? Just to notice, just to recognize, is there any greed in the mind? Is there any, any energy feeding it? And in just the same way, you might relax a closed fist to become an open hand. Can you relax the muscle of greed in any measure? Second, is there any hostility or aversion present? It's taught in this ancient book regarding aversion that those who see clearly let go. Can you relax the muscle of hostility? Aversion. Third, preparing the mind for loving kindness, having relaxed the muscle of greed, the muscle of hostility. Notice, is there any confusion delusion or obsessive self-concern. Again, with respect to these, those who see clearly, let go. Relax the muscle of confusion, delusion, obsessive self-concern. in any measure. And then just briefly, appreciating the mind and body that's present, having released greed, hatred, and delusion in any measure, entering the formal practice of metta. First, I'll invite you to imagine 
the image of someone in your mind's eye that easily inspires a feeling of goodwill, kindness or care, someone with whom you might have a simple, not too complicated relationship. For some, this might actually be a pet. I tend to practice this imagining my young self. Let your intuition let you know, looking for an image that calls forth a response in the heart and this natural inclination to goodwill. So first is the image, second, the phrases, holding this image in mind, saying to, to this being silently to yourself, four phrases, may you be happy. And feeling the wish feeling that intention for their happiness. May you be healthy. Feeling the intention. Refreshing the image, if you like. The third phrase, may you be safe. feeling the wish. And fourth, may you live with ease. Feeling the wish. And once again, may you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you live with ease. And one last time, may you be happy. Feeling the wish. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you live with ease. Three aspects, the image, the phrase, the wish. And to finish this very brief session of metta meditation, staying in your meditation posture, release the practice and take just a little bit of time to appreciate what's present in your body and mind right now.
so we'll have a we'll have some time to debrief that practice and how that was for you and questions and responses in a few minutes when we get to Q and A. Uh, but I, first, I want to make just a couple of brief notes about the practice of metta. One is that you may have noticed during the appreciation at the end of the formal practice that you've been creating a feedback loop. And it's very possible when wishing goodness for someone else, you're generating very pleasant sensations in the body. Could be. Second thing I want to mention, the practice of metta is, uh, in my experience, it's very powerful. It's a, it's a potent practice. In part, I think because we're incorporating so many different aspects of the mind, image, verbal fabrication, and felt sense. And in doing so, we're, we're cultivating this quality, integrating it through several aspects of ourselves. Third thing I wanna mention, short metta practice is great. Long metta practice is great, but I wanna say short metta practice is great. In just the same way, through your workday, stopping to do 20 seconds of mindfulness a few times during your workday, very beneficial. In the same way, doing a minute of metta a few times a day uh, can really bear results. And then the third thing, partly in honor of this bit about contingency that we spent so much time on earlier, I want to normalize a note that's actually entirely part of the practice that when you do metta, it's not always going to be fuzzy. It's not always going to be pleasant. Um, and it may be next to impossible to wish for the well-being of someone. Uh, I've had experience of, experiences of doing metta practice and just being actually filled with, with anger. Um, what I want, why I want to bring that up is simply to note that you're, you're practicing in some ways kind of on your own. And you have, you have the, uh, the freedom to modulate the intensity of this practice. If you're finding strong reactions, you have the freedom to do it more slowly or do a little less, but know that metta practices, it's, they're powerful. Uh, so I just want you to know, if you're feeling angry, it's not going wrong. It's a purification practice. It's meant to, it in part shows you what is not metta. So those are my thoughts about the practice itself. I think I will just close by saying, uh, I, I appreciate getting to share just a taste of metta with you. I really value this practice. And I think that it is, it is apt and timely considering uh, what we are surrounded with and what we're living amidst right now. And to highlight this point that every moment presents the possibility for us to choose practice. <laughs>